Hello, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5c.consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Greg Ballard here with the Adaptive Executive. And uh, I have our special guest here, Steve Hoffman, otherwise known, aka Captain Hoff. And he is the CEO of Founderspace and also the author of Make Elephants Fly and several other books as well. Hey, Steve, welcome to the show. Uh, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and Founderspace, please. Sure. So I run Founderspace. It is a global startup accelerator and incubator. We now have over 50 partners in 22 countries. And I work with early stage startups, helping them innovate, but also with large corporations, many of the biggest in the world, like Bosch, Qualcomm, Huawei, running innovation programs for them and their executives. I'm also author of the book, Make Elephants Fly, published by Hachette. And that is all about the process of radical innovation and the mindset you need to have, the management techniques used, and the processes. And I look forward to talking about that today. Excellent. So uh, I feel like what we're going to do is we're going to blend this, we're going to merge these two topics of adaptability as executives and organizations and innovation, right? Because those two really play well together. You have to be able to pivot and change and adapt as you're innovating. And so I'd love to hear from you. And I, and I want to kind of dive into kind of the individual mindset level, uh, Steve. What are some of the things that maybe you've experienced or you've seen with your clients uh, around being adaptive, you know, mental models, mindsets? And, and what are you seeing success uh, is helping executives be successful in being adaptive and innovative? Yeah. So for me, being adaptive and innovative are two sides of the same coin. Like you can't be innovative without being adaptive and you can't be adaptive without being innovative. You know, there, today, everything is changing and it's changing faster than ever. New technologies are literally emerging every week. And every week there's something you have to know. It's hard to keep up with the flood of things. And it's hard to chart a course, a long-term course, when things are changing so quickly. So how do you do it? Well, some of the techniques I work with on executives are don't dismiss things out of hand. Like that's the first mindset rule of being adaptive is things will come up and they won't fit into your plan. They won't fit into even your vision of what your business is or what the future is. But these things may well be true. We've seen them happen over and over and over again uh, that something new like the blockchain will come up. You don't quite understand it. You don't think it applies to your business, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you find everything is moving in that direction. You know, you're this bank or whatever, and decentralized finance is taking over. How do you adapt to that new situation, that new reality? Well, the first thing is you can't wait. If you wait, somebody else eats your lunch. So there's always some other company out there that is moving quickly 
on whatever is happening. And if there's an opportunity there, they're going to take it. And that opportunity may, may actually be your core business. So the thing is that when these ideas come up, it's very easy to say that doesn't apply to me or that, you know, I, that isn't in our plan. I don't want to focus on that right now. We need to stay focused. In the old world where things move more slowly, that was fine. In today's world, that doesn't work. Right. So what are some maybe mental models or a process for like prioritization and, and deprioritization, right? Because you can't do everything in the moment. You have to pick and choose and weigh the opportunity costs. This is the challenge, right? We all need to make plans. We, we can't change our plans literally every day, yet we still want to be adaptive to what comes up that may be important to us. And how do we, like you said, prioritize? How do we find out if it's something we should be focused on without spending too much time on, on all these new shiny objects that are coming up literally faster than we can absorb them all? Well, one thing is to have people in your organization who are naturally curious people. So it, it really comes down to, as the executive, you can't do it all. Like you literally can't keep track of all these things. But what you can do is uh, find, identify people in your organization who are natural early adopters. These are people, mm. they're always trying the latest gadget. They're always, you know, if they're an engineer, they're always downloading, downloading some new SDK, open source software. They're fooling around with it on their spare time. A lot of times they won't even bring up what they're learning because they think it doesn't apply to your business or they think you wouldn't be interested or it doesn't fit into your plan. If you're an executive, you need to let your team know if there's something interesting out there, even if you think you know it doesn't fit in with our current plan, if you can see a way that this may be valuable to us, I want you to bring it to our attention. I want, you mm -hmm. know, and, and you can, you don't even have to bring it to my attention. I want you to bring it to your peers' attention. I want you guys to be discussing it. And if you come up with something that you all agree, wow, this, this is something we should be focused on. Definitely bring me into the loop so that I can start to discuss it with you. Again, you don't have to spend all the time on all these different things, but you can have different people in your organization with different specialties and different interests, inclinations. And so somebody may be real, uh, really interested in the blockchain and that person can be your blockchain go-to person, you know, whenever something's happening there. Another person can be interested in IoT and new devices and gadgets and things like that. That can be your go-to person there. And you can have different people that you kind of rely on as your channels. I like that because what you're doing is like, look, you can't focus on everything, right? But you have people in your organization, you have people on your team, you have people in your orbit and you can tap them and say, hey, listen, I need to be informed, but I can't look at everything. You're already there. And I can give you maybe a framework of, hey, if you see one, two, and three, you need to tell me about it because that's where I may take some action. And so you can multiply and really increase your awareness with this model. Exactly. And so I think that's a fantastic idea. And you don't have to figure out how these things will impact your organization. You can mm -hmm. leave that up to the organization itself. All you need to do, and it's the most important thing, is give them permission. Give them permission to actually go out there and start exploring. And not only that, you know, when they find something, listen, like bring it in, make it learn from them. You may not end up using it, but you can always be learning. And these people can be your filters and your scouts. I love this. So one of the things that comes up for me as I'm listening to you, uh, Steve, is 
there's probably a lot of executives that have decided actually to do the opposite and to put the blinders on. And maybe you could speak to, you know, what could those folks do if they're realizing, hey, you know, I've actually had blinders on and, and I'm sensing some resistance to taking them off and, and, and engaging in a, in a larger awareness because I feel overwhelmed. Is there anything you might say to someone that's in that state? Yeah. So I've been there. I know most of us have been there. You know, we, we got to get something done. We have this huge list of things that must be done to, to meet our goals. And we just can't handle more input. So the thing to do here is to say, look, the new inf- when did new information hurt me? And I don't have to do all the work to, to analyze it, to figure it out, to make a plan. I don't have to do that. You have to tell yourself, this is what my teams are for. If I think there's something there when somebody comes to me, I could say, yeah, spend more time on this. Ooh, write up a plan. Give, you know, I, a month from now or two weeks from now, come up with a, a PowerPoint presentation on what you've learned and give it to the group. And as a group, you guys can start to make decisions about what, you know, whether this is a value to your organization, how it would impact your strategy and direction, and what, you know, and, and, and whether you should pursue it or not pursue it. But you don't have to make all those decisions. That's the only way. Because honestly, if you feel like it's going to mess up everything you're doing and you're overwhelmed and you can't handle it, uh, then you just won't, you, you will automatically shut those things out. But you don't want to do that because it's, on, it's at your peril. <laughs> if you aren't adaptive today, you, you know, your organization probably won't be in business a decade or two from now. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things that triggered came up. So before um, we got onto this call, I was just taking a look at some of the, the highlights. I had a few minutes and I was scrolling through and I came across the metaverse. And I'm like, this is some new real estate coming into the market. And, and I don't know really much of anything about it, but my mind is like, I, I'm curious. I need to check this out. And you know, how is this going to impact the markets, how, what are, what are people's behaviors going to be? And, and really, what do we do? Uh, Where do we get on and engage? Because people will move there. That's just inevitable. The question is, what are they going to be doing there? And is that a place we need to go play? Or how does the metaverse impact, you know, work life, the workplace? What's going to get created in the metaverse that's going to impact workplace environments and labor and management? And so there's just a lot of curiosity around that. Have you explored metaverse at all? So I have, but before I go into that, I spent a lot of time there. So, but before I go into that, I want to say what you just did is the right thing to do as an executive. What you just did was ask a lot of key questions. So you as the executive don't have to come up with the answers, but what you have to do as an executive is ask the right questions and ask them of your team. So like you were just asking all those questions you just asked, what is the metaverse? How would it apply to us? And blah, blah, blah. You should be asking those of your team and, and those people on your team who are more inclined to explore that, that by asking those questions, you've given them permission to do that and bring back information and start to educate everybody. And, you know, naturally things will emerge in your business that make sense. And the things that won't, they'll just go away. Like people won't buy into it. Google has a rule about this. And they say, you have to sell this to your teammates before you sell it to upper management. 
So uh, the in the team, they have to, the, who's ever so passionate about this has to convince the other teammates. Yeah, this is there's something real here. We have to do this. But you you kick it off by asking questions. So well, your questions were good. You know, what is the metaverse? How does it apply? How is it going to change things? So the metaverse has been around a while in different forms. So. It, we call it virtual reality, virtual world, mm -hmm. augmented reality, and then mixed reality is a combination of virtual reality and augmented reality. And they have all these other names for it. And metaverse is one kind of overarching name for the whole thing. And the names don't matter that much. The reason metaverse got a lot of hype lately is Facebook, right? You know, when mm -hmm. Facebook says they're pivoting to the metaverse, everybody listens. But Mark Zuckerberg, you know, actually started down that path when he acquired Oculus, you know, the virtual mm -hmm. reality, uh, you know, goggle company. So um, they are, had already started down that path. Um, one thing is a clever marketing for uh, Facebook to do this, right? It takes the focus away from all the problems they've had and they've created for themselves <laughs> lately. Right. Very clever, right? Mark Zuckerberg mm -hmm. isn't dumb. And then number two, it, it, uh, it also... Uh, gives them something to strive for. So what, what Zuckerberg knows is that he doesn't know everything. So he's doing what, what we're talking about right now. So Mark Zuckerberg is being flexible, right? Adaptive. Like he's saying, mm -hmm. look, Facebook is on top of the world right now. We own Instagram, WhatsApp, you know, we have all, you know, we, we, we are, we are the kind of the number one social network, but we may not be the number one social network for long. And he's looking out at the world. What could displace us? Well, he's saying, well, the metaverse could virtual reality, augmented reality. You know, when people start spending more time in here and not on our traditional apps, our traditional social networking apps, then th they could all leave. And literally, Facebook would would be you know would be going downhill if somebody else steals that from it. So he, Facebook, cannot afford to ignore the future, right? They cannot afford to ignore. And it may be the metaverse, it may be something totally different like brain computer interfaces, which Facebook is also working on. So Mark Zuckerberg is placing a lot of bets on the future and where there could emerge to be competition. Right now, the metaverse is fairly niche. It's fairly mm -hmm. geeky. Let's, 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 let's be honest. Like who spends a lot of time with their in virtual reality? Like who does? Like, most of us, you know, don't, the, the, the headsets are clunky. The interfaces are tough to navigate. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it, you know, they primarily the best applications so far, there've been some interesting applications. Like if you're talking about the metaverse and virtual reality games, you know, there've been some yeah, really gaming and, and, uh, working out. So physical, uh, exercise, Phys exercise. physical act because it can stimulate you, make it more fun to yeah. actually go through the pain of working out. But there's also industrial ones, you know, they're using it mm -hmm. to design products. They're, uh, uh, medical industry is using it for, uh, surgery and stuff, especially augmented reality and things like yeah. that. They're experimenting with that. So I met a, um, I, just interject you real quick. Yeah. Um, I met a young lady who's local to me. And she has started a VR for elderly um, to combat Alzheimer's. Right. And so she's she's a startup, and she's taking VR in something I haven't seen it done in before. And so there's just going to be so there's going to be a lot of different applications of this. Obviously, so all of these are the metaverse. So, but when Zuckerberg's talking about it, he's mostly worried about social metaverse. Well, when people hang out uh -huh. and communicate with other, consume media, share 
media. That's what he's concerned with. But the metaverse is, is, is a broader term. It comes out of science fiction novels, but it's a broader yeah. term to encompass all of this. In every industry, it'll take a diff- it will manifest itself in a different way. So that's what we're going to see, we're, like you talked about. Yeah, and this tees up kind of the next phase of, of discussion for, for, for me here. Um, we talked about as an individual, you know, how do you remain adaptive and innovative and broaden your perspective, right? By inviting the people in your orbit and in your team, in your organization, giving them permission. So let's just pivot this a little bit and talk about organizational adaptivity and organizational innovation. Um, and what what maybe some work that you've done with, with past clients, what are you seeing kind of on the forefront of remaining adaptive as an organization? Okay, let me give you an example. So there was one large company I was consulting for and we were running, uh, they wanted to be adaptive. They wanted to be innovative. They wanted to embrace the latest technology and the latest things. So they had formed innovation teams. Right. These teams were basically supposed to help them become more you know, the management, more adaptive and everything else. And uh, they uh, what they did was they had a contest where everybody would each in the company who wanted to would come up with ideas and the executives would pick the very best ideas. And those would become the innovation teams. Well, do you see the flaw here? There's a yeah, management. Yeah. Well, the person that's picking what's best is basing it on a criteria and that criteria may or may not be appropriate. Yes. So the man, the problem was the management was picking uh, the ideas and the management was already using their same old filters, you know, for what worked in the past, what they wanted, what they, yes. so they were just filtering out. I'm sure a lot of good ideas, but I wasn't involved in that process. I was brought in after that contest mm. was run and the ideas were chosen. So I'm with uh, these teams uh, trying to get them to work. And there's one team. And what you do in an organization is you have to encourage people to question everything. Like this is the fundamental thing. So this team comes in and my job as an outside consultant is to go in there with the team and basically uh, figure out if what they're doing will work or not as quickly as possible. Because if it doesn't work, we want we don't want them wasting their time and the company's money. Mm. So I'm going through with the team. And some of these teams were good. Some of these teams had mediocre people. And um, first of all, let me tell you this. when If you want an adaptive organization, you have to put the right people in charge of the teams. So what they did that was wrong, not only was picking the management picking the ideas, filtering out probably a lot of good ideas that just sounded funky or weird that they, they hadn't, hadn't been familiar, educated on, but then also they weren't picking the teams based on the people, just based on that idea. And so the, the team leaders weren't necessarily the most creative, adaptive, innovative people in the organization. So if what I told them that they need to do in the future is don't run a contest for God's sake and don't have the management judge it. Don't do that. Instead, you should be a, have a process where you are identifying the, the people in your organization who are naturally uh, adaptive, naturally innovative, have an open mindset, are exploring, constantly exploring, trying new things, always wanting to push the envelope, always challenging orthodoxy. Who are these people? Then you pick those people and you say, look, find an area that you're interested in 
and go for it. Like we give you permission to go for it, form, get other people. If you can convince them to be on your team to do that and then come to us with what you're finding. Right. And if it looks mm -hmm. good, if it looks interesting, mm -hmm. we'll allow you, give you money and support to continue. So, but you educate us, right? You educate us, not us picking you. Yeah. So, so I, I want to click on this for a second, Steve, because I think our listeners would get a lot of value. Uh, what might be some um, uh, hallmarks or some observable qualities of somebody that's going to be that person that is going to step into that role and kind of be on the front lines of innovation for an organization? Can we yes. paint a little bit of a picture so that somebody can say, oh my gosh, that's Brad or that's Sally and, 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 and really kind of crisp that, you know, crystallize that for us. So the Brads and Sally's of your organization are those who are doing it anyway. Like they're just doing it outside the organization. They are like always out there trying. It's like the engineer who's totally set up their phone, their home with a virtual reality metaverse thing already. Like they, they have all the latest gear. They're experimenting with it. They're, you know, they're totally into it. They're talking about it. That's the person who should be doing, you know, exploring metaverse, right? They're already interested in that. There are people in your organization who have these interests in every organization. A lot of times they're just, they're, they're just do it outside. You should allow them to bring that in to their job, especially, especially if it involves new technology and ideas and things like that. The person who's out there in the DeFi space, trading crypto, doing all these things on there and, and talking to the bragging to their friends at lunch about it. You should have them out there exploring that area. If it, you know, if you think there's any chance it could impact your business in the future, those are the people. They are also people who uh, like to challenge the status quo, who like to question things, who uh, are natural leaders, who naturally uh, get other people going, get them on board. These are the qualities you look for. So you find people like that. They're your gateway. They will do the work if you let them, uh, if you enable them and set up a process for them to come forward and say, wow, I'm really passionate about this. I want to do this, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's let's figure out what you can do. That That's the answer. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, the Vital Smarts team, I think their book was Influencer. They they labeled those folks as connected and respected. Yes. And so it, it's not somebody that's just out there, you know, you know, way off socially doing their own thing where people know of them and they're out on this huge extreme. Uh, but they don't necessarily have the respect of the community. And it's not just somebody that has respect in the community, but isn't doing anything new. It's somebody that's got both of those qualities together. They're on the forefront. They have influence. When they say something, you know, hey, if, it's, if you're back in the office and they're saying, hey, let's go to lunch, and they say, let's go here, and everybody's like, okay, we're going there. That kind of person has that innate leadership, that level of influence, and they're out on the front of a particular technology or ideology or, or whatever it is that you want to explore, those folks would be ideal to step into a role like this. Exactly. And identifying those people is the, and empowering them is the most important thing you can do as a manager, like literally, because they will do the rest. Like if you, if, but, and also you may want to hire for those type of people. So you don't need mm. everybody a lot of people say everybody in our organization is an innovator. That's not true. It's never true. A lot of people are just really good and they really like routine. 
<laughs> they like structure and they, and they thrive in that. And you need those people in your organization. You know, they're the people who just get stuff done, you know, but then you also need the other type of people. So you should be hiring for both people, depending on the roles and moving people into the right seats in your organization. Yeah. So I want to ask another question here and, and challenge me on this, but I've been thinking about um, as, as many organizations have come through the pandemic, the crisis, and, you know, we've really kind of shifted uh, a lot of companies that do not require to be in person are now fully distributed uh, or have gone to a remote or a hybrid model. Uh, a lot of organizations are trying to think about what is, what is return to work look like? And we have a great resignation. Okay. So we have a lot of people leaving the labor force or moving around in the labor force. And we're still exploring those drivers. Some of it is the mandates. Some of it is other things. And so would you, would you agree? Because I've kind of put out on a high level, I'm sure there could be some nuance to this, is that businesses probably need to take a minute and put themselves in the mind of a startup again and reconfirm their business model and, and then build from there. Would you agree or challenge that, that, that idea? So I would agree. And, you know, in my book, Make Elephants Fly, I write a lot about this. You know, how do you borrow from startups the, their process of innovation and flexibility and adaptability? Because that's what startups do. They are literally at an early stage, especially they are just they are discovering. They are in discovery exploration mode. Um, and a, a, a number of things you need to do is one, small teams work better. They move faster. They make decisions more communally as a group. Uh, they discover things quicker and you, they don't need a lot of resources. In fact, if you get, I was consulting with, for another big company, they were literally giving their teams too much money. So their, their kind of innovation teams, they gave them so much money that all, then the team has to figure out how to spend this money. So they're like hiring more people that they don't need. They are literally hiring outside organizations to do research on whether there's a market there. And I come in and I'm like, you don't need a, a, to hire this consulting agency for all this money to do research. You go and talk to the customers, like get out there and talk to the customers. Like they're going to take th three or four months to do this research. You could figure it out in three or four days. Like if you just got out there and, you know, really zoned in on who the customer is, what they want, what they need. Come back to me with that data. Don't waste your money. They were like, but we have the money. We, we should spend it. So really, uh, these are important things. And I want to give you another story that's really important. So I had one team and I sent them out to the customer. I was like, don't do any market research. Don't do this stuff. You know your customers. You know who they are. Like, here they are. You've given me a list. Just talk to them. Ask them these questions. Like, we made a whole list of different things they should ask them. And they went and they talked to their customer and they came back to me and they started relating what they had. And I'm like, is it clear to you what they're saying? And they're like, yeah, they don't really need our product, what we're, cons cons what we're, what we're building right now. And I go, yeah, they don't need it. They don't care. They're not going to pay for it. And I was like, so we need to pivot now. We need to be flexible. We need to go a new direction. Like this isn't working. The customer just told us. And they're like, we can't. I'm like, what do you mean you can't? Like you just told me, you just admitted to me the customer doesn't want it. That's what we figured out. And they're like, no, you don't understand. My boss wants us to do this. And his boss wants us to do this. We were like, I was like, yeah, well, you have to go to your boss and tell them we're not doing this because this doesn't work, but they didn't want it. 
because they, their boss had already said, this is what we're doing. We chose this product, this project. We approved it. I sold it up the ladder. So the whole organization needs to be open to change. It can't just be one group, right? Because if, if, if the boss isn't flexible, like if the boss basically communicates to you, we're doing this, this is what we've chosen, and you got to go through with it, then they won't even come to the boss with the information that they discovered yeah. that it won't work. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question and to, to the best of your ability here, Steve, um, break this down. The, the tension between top down and bottom up. Oh yeah. The tension top, between top down, yeah, is, top down it, leadership and bottom up influence, right? Because I think we, we can all relate to, and especially if you're in your forties or older, you know, uh, companies and organizations, very hierarchical, very much top down, uh, everything came down, right? And the larger an organization gets, the more insulated those senior leaders are and the more sanitized the information that they get is. Right. People uh, and so out they, they don't, don't want to hear. Yeah. yeah, they're insulated. They're isolated. They don't know what's really going on. And, you know, millennials did, a, did you know, the millennial generation had a huge influence on this. And Gen Z is having another set, of, uh, another dose of influence on this. And we're seeing a big shift and, and a recognition that the people on the front lines are the people in the best position to give in to give insight? Now you can't have every person on the front line calling all the shots, and so talk to me a little bit about this tension, right? That every organization has to manage. So it's really, really tough, and no organization is perfect because people aren't perfect, and we all can't. We all make mistakes. We all are blind to certain things. We all have our biases built into what, you know, we, you can't eliminate bias. There's always bias in everything you do. So uh, with all we can do is try to improve. So what I call it is you need to create a culture of constant improvement, right, where everybody is challenging themselves to be better, to be more open, to be more receptive. This culture is probably the most important thing you can do because you can't dictate how people act. And people are going to act in, uh, they're going to say no to things they should say yes to. They're not going to look at something carefully, what they should be looking at. A bottom up people, a lot of times the top people want to have the credit, right? They got there because a lot of them are really good at company politics, right? They're really good at maneuvering up the corporate ladder and they want to make sure that whatever happens below them, it reflects well on them, right? So a lot of times the bottom up people will, uh, there'll be a tension because they'll be like pushing for this. This is their chance to prove themselves to like that. And the top people will be like, no, they're kind of, they're, they're going astray. They're not, you know, they're, they're going to take all the credit. I'm not going to get it. Um, this is really bad. This is toxic in an organization. So mm -hmm. basically at the very, it has to start at the very top and work its way down. Like as the CEO of one of these companies, you have to be setting up your managers that look, you guys do well when you get your employees to come up with great ideas. You don't do well when you tell me it's your idea. Like <laughs> That's like, I don't care if it's your idea. What I care is that you're getting your teams to innovate. So it has to be the culture that look, your job is to get everybody under you to innovate. And if you can do that, then I know you're a star performer. If you just come to me and all the ideas are yours, well, why do you need that, these people under you? You know, what are they doing? Yeah. 
So you don't need to be a manager if you're doing that. You could be an individual right, contributor. Right. I could just make, I could put you have no reports because all the ideas are yours. You're an individual contributor. You kind of have to set this, reorg set it because it used to be that the manager takes credit for all the great ideas, right? And that's why they get promoted. In the new mm-hmm. organization, it's the manager's job to get the, the team to come up with great ideas. And that is what you have to set up. Right. And, and, and so I love what you said and I want to add on to it a little bit because in one sense, you've got, the top level, and really it's the corporate objective, the, the corporate strategy or the business unit strategy. And that's really what matters because that is the, the plan to move forward into the market and to be successful. And so, and, and I find that a lot of times organizations really struggle at communicating that corporate strategy or that business unit, business unit level strategy to the frontline employees the frontline contributors. And if they were more effective at, communic- at communicating, hey, here's where we're going and, and even why, well, then you have eyes and ears that are looking for opportunities to, to support that plan. And you use that plan as your criteria, as your filter. And, and, it, and, and, and essentially what you do is you depersonalize the decision process. It's no longer about the manager's personal preference or their idea. It's about, does this fit the plan? Does this fit the strategic goal? And working there, you can end up marrying these two things together in a nice way. Um, so I want to manage our time here, Steve, uh, or Captain Hoff, as you're called. Um, I'd love to hear for a, a moment or two, a little bit more about your book, uh, Make Elephants Fly. Sure. So Make Elephants Fly is a, uh, a book that describes this whole process, a lot of what we've been talking about just now, as well as my personal experience in this. And what I do is I lay out in the book the steps a company needs to take, you know, from everything from how do you select innovation teams? How do you manage innovation teams? How do you structure? What are the most important things in an organization for structuring this and for communicating? Like you said, communication is key. To an organization. So how do you communicate? Which teams perform best? What criteria uh, uh, can you judge a team by? You know, an innovation is different than something that you n- normally do. Normally, companies go for efficiency. They go for, you know, they're looking at the P&L. Can we, you know, hit these targets? That doesn't work for innovation teams. Those metrics don't make sense when you're innovating. So what are the metrics a, com- a corporation could put in place that actually make sense? and inspire people and motivate people to actually innovate. The well, one how thing, do you even define innovation? So yeah, there's a lot of different definitions there, of it. There's a lot of different definitions. And I go into that too, the different types of innovation. There's like design innovation, there's product innovation, there's technological innovation, you know, there's management innovation. There's all these different, different avenues you can innovate on. And it's just really important if you're a manager in an organization to know this stuff to keep an open mind, to always be learning. My book is one of a number of books. I mean, there are a lot of good books out there. The one thing I want to leave your audience with is great managers question. So they question everything. They even, they literally, instead of telling people what to do, they're always probing. Like you look at Elon Musk. I, I know people who are like high up in, in Tesla and they were like, when Musk comes into a room, He isn't talking about his vision and stuff like he does when he talks to the general public. He is grilling people on the details, like questioning everything they're doing. Why are you doing this? Why did you come up with that conclusion? What could we do next? 
even the plan, like he'll have his plan for Tesla, like in his head, is this, he'll go to his team and he'll say, is this the best plan? Could we do better? Are there things that you see in this plan that we're missing? You know, what, those questions are what drives innovation at a management level. I love it. I love it. Uh, Steve, this has been a fantastic conversation and I really appreciate you joining us here on the show. Uh, I want to kick over final thoughts to you on being an, ad an adaptive executive, being an adaptive organization uh, tied to innovation. Any final comments you'd have for our, our listeners today? So I uh, would say being an adaptive organization is incredible. Like you, if you transform yourself and when you transform yourself, the more adaptive you become, the more motivated your team will become, the more energized you will become at your job. And so will the, all the people who report to you, because think about it. It's fun to be creative. It's fun to be adaptive. It's fun to change and discover new things and be part of the process. Getting everybody involved in that really uh, takes your organization to a whole new level. And then you start to see the results like an Amazon out there that is just like literally gobbling up everything because they're innovating across all these different fronts. It's like pretty amazing. Uh, a Google, which is doing the same thing. Any organization can do this within their vertical, within their, uh, their sector. So you don't have to be those super high tech companies to take these processes and make them work for you. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you again, uh, Steve Hoffman, Captain Hoff, and the book, Make Elephants Fly. Uh, we'll have a link for that in the show notes. Uh, thank you again for everybody. This is Greg Ballard with The Adaptive Executive. Thank you for joining us on The Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.